Hey there, this is Matt April, and welcome back to another episode of the Bent on Better podcast, where better means becoming the best you in health, fitness, and overall wellness. This is the show where we use real-life stories and tips to help you learn and improve to make sure you're always getting better. This week, my guest on the show is Dr. Brent Brookbush. Brent is the president and founder of the Brookbush Institute of Human Movement Science, where the goal is optimizing human movement science education. In this episode, we discuss some ways to improve your overall posture, nutrition, and what you need to do if you have a weight loss goal. Before we get into our session, I would like to take a quick moment just to thank our show sponsor, Audible. Because you listen to the Bent on Better podcast, Audible.com is giving you a 30-day risk-free trial of Audible.com, where you can download a wide variety of audio entertainment information and educational programming on the internet. Audible sells digital audiobooks, radio and TV show programs, and audio versions of magazines and newspapers. In addition to your 30-day trial, you will receive two free audiobooks. All you have to do is go to bentonbetter.com audible. That's bentonbetter.com A-U-D-I-B-L-E. Now let's get moving. Brent, welcome to the podcast. It's going all right. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Brent, before we get into our chat, can you just introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do for a living? Sure. Um, So I kind of live in three different worlds here. I have my uh, personal training background, which goes back about 17 years. I'm a physical therapist, so now I currently practice more in a rehab type of setting than I do a performance enhancement setting, although I still get a few clients and individuals who are working on more performance type goals. And then, of course, my biggest passion um, and the thing I work so hard at is the education side of things. And I run the Brooke Bush Institute of Human Movement Science, and I work as faculty for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Well, we already covered this in our pre-podcast chat, but I just want to thank you again live on the podcast for the information that you provide online because everything at brentbrookbush.com and and the Brookbush Institute of Human Movement Science, all of that stuff, all the information that I found, and thankfully, thanks to you for free that I found, was so helpful to me in passing my National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer test just recently, so... Thank you again for producing that content and for having it out there for people to uh, to to learn and um, and so we really appreciate that. Yeah, man. I mean, we keep working. Uh, the team keeps growing. We're trying to produce more and more content and fill more and more of those holes in education. You know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, it's not all free now. Unfortunately, building a company like this does cost money, and I need revenue. Um, but I think we're going to try to keep membership pretty cheap. Uh, it's currently twelve ninety nine to get access to everything, and I think we'll go up to like nineteen dollars by the end of the year. But uh, as you also mentioned, there is some free resources. Uh, some of the videos are free to look at on YouTube, and and there are a couple articles that are open for individuals to enjoy, as well as there's a fourteen day free trial on a membership if they you know just wanted to get in there for a few days and check things out. Oh, that's great. See, I love companies, I love organizations and businesses that provide that that free trial incentive so that you can kind of get a taste for what you can expect. And I mean, only from 12, anywhere from 12 to 20 bucks, that's 
that's great for a, a monthly expense. I mean, you you pay more than that for a lot of other monthly expenses that you have, and they're not providing nearly as much content or as much value as you are. So. Brent, today I think it would be a lot of fun to kind of discuss a few topics that could really help my listeners improve their overall wellness and their overall physical well-being. And the first one that comes to mind is the general posture mistakes that people make. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you commonly see with your clients? So posture is kind of my geek out, right? Like this is this is kind of one of my areas of of expertise and I spent a lot of time studying posture, although I define posture a little different than I think a lot of your listeners probably define posture, right? We say posture and we think about standing up straight or sitting up tall. And when I think about posture, I'm actually thinking about the optimal, optimal motion, right? As it is controlled by muscle fascia joints and of course the nervous system. So what we kind of find is over our lifetimes, we start slowly moving less and less optimal, right? And we can call that our posture falling apart. Some of the mistakes that might be leading to that, of course, could be our new sedentary desk jockey lifestyles. I think an easy thing to start slowing the process of decreasing movement quality would be, you know, focus on your desk. You do need a good desk chair, you do need to set up your, your monitor and your keyboard in a way that's going to allow you to sit there with, with good posture, especially if you're an individual like myself who's behind a computer anywhere from four to eight hours a day. Some of the other mistakes I think that are made include high heel shoes, um, backpacks are another, I mean like really heavy backpacks can be a real big issue. There's a lot of little faults we make that start breaking down the quality of our human movement. But overall, the biggest mistake that people make is to think that they can not work at it. And when I say not work at it, I mean with exercise, with corrective exercise, with therapeutic exercise, that they cannot work at it and somehow beat posture. Mm. And so far, I haven't seen anybody do that. I haven't seen a single individual who gets into their 40s without orthopedic pain that didn't have some sort of exercise intervention at some point. So what would be some easily described exercises for my audience, for my listeners? What would be some exercises that people could do, at-home exercises people could do to improve their overall posture? I think for with some fairly simple, cheap equipment, things like foam rolls and bands and, and whatnot, uh, you can learn some exercises, and I got some YouTube videos up there on things like how to foam roll your calves, your gastrocnemius, and your soleus, how to stretch those muscles. Uh, your calves are muscles that have a propensity to get overactive and tight, so getting them to tone down and lengthen is really important. Learning how to activate things like your glutes, uh, your glute medius and glute maximus, and that can be done with some fairly easy exercises, some uh, some fairly cheap equipment like a fit loop and or just a normal resistance band that you tie around your knees. Stuff like sidestepping is another one. Um, being able to foam roll your thoracic spine so that it stays flexible. Learning some postural exercises like external rotator activation or serratus anterior activation. 
you know, all that stuff's really good. I think if you got on to, for instance, my YouTube channel, anything you learned would probably have a benefit. Of course, we can get more specific if you if you get an evaluation from somebody who is familiar with a movement impairment or postural dysfunction model. But I think it's important that at some point you address this issue. So start trying to learn on your own. Try not to get intimidated by muscle names. They're just it's just Latin. There's only a few words out there. You don't have to learn it all. Um, you know, gluteus medius, like everybody knows what their glutes are. Well, glutes comes from gluteus maximus and gluteus medius, right, which is the Latin terminology. But get on there. Try to learn as much as you can. And then when you get stuck, try to find a professional in your area who you can go to and get assessed so that you can get a more specific routine and then go home and work on that for a while and see how you feel. And hopefully you can kind of create a – a system of reading and learning online, trying it at home, talking to a professional, trying at home, learning more online, trying at home, going back to that professional, trying it at home, you know, and just keep at it that way. Now, you mentioned performance enhancement and working with, I'm sure you work with a lot of athletes. And I'm sure you've had a lot of athletes come through your practice. Uh, what are some some uh, performance enhancement, maybe uh, workouts for my athlete listeners, for people who are into athletics and, and physical fitness, what are some things that they could do to uh, improve their overall performance? If you think about periodization to start with, mm. and I know that sounds like a complicated term to some of the listeners, but it's not. Periodization is just the idea that you're going to chunk your workouts into four to six week segments. So we could say we're going to chunk it into months. Right? And each month you're going to work on a different training adaptation. And what I mean by training adaptation is either endurance, hypertrophy, strength as in max strength, or power as in velocity. Not power as in power lifting. Power lifting would actually be max strength. Mm -hmm. But this is like high velocity movements like let's say your vertical jump, your sprint speed, uh, throwing something really fast like a baseball. So if you think about those four categories, endurance, hypertrophy, max strength, and ballistic movement, you need to break that down into four-week chunks that you're continuously moving through. You can't do max strength training all the time. You can't do power training all the time. If you do either of those things all the time, I assure you, you will get injured. Mm. <clears throat> you will plateau, your body will start to fall apart, and you will eventually get injured. On the flip side, um, endurance and stability work is, has been attacked recently, and I think it's because of the popularity of powerlifting at the moment. But the importance of endurance and stability work isn't just being able to balance while standing on a stability ball. That, that's not really the intent. The intent is to make sure that we have control with weight that's still sufficient to get a good to get a good strength benefit in that 12 to 20 rep range. So it's control with a bit of endurance. You have to kind of set the stage for everything you're going to do after it. A lot of people skip that phase thinking it's not going to aid to their hypertrophy or it's not going to aid to their power. But the truth is you can only lift what you control and power from an athletic standpoint. And I can speak to this as a basketball player. Power without control is useless. If I can't control my power output so that it's directed in the, direction I want to go, then I'm really never going to get the opportunity 
to put it to good use. So kind of going back and recapping this, you got to, you got to start with some, some lighter weights and higher reps, 12 to 20 reps, really work on controlling weight. You know, this is where you would do like your alternating dumbbell press with a good amount of weight for 12 to 20 repetitions. You're then going to move on to something like hypertrophy and strength training. This is where you drop your weights down to six to 12 reps, go up a little heavier. So maybe we go from that alternating dumbbell press that we were working on that felt really unstable and we go ahead and just make it a bilateral dumbbell press. We then can go into our max strength phase. So maybe this is if we started in January, now we're in March. Our max strength phase might just be a bench press. But now obviously the weight's getting really heavy because the rep range is one to six. And if we've done this all properly, we should have set the stage really nice for our power athletes, right? Which is our basketball players, our football players, our tennis players, even our boxers. If we need to go on to that power phase, we're going to do something like a medicine ball chest pass. But now we have the endurance and control. We have the hypertrophy, enough chest muscle. That chest muscle is willing to produce maximal amounts of force. And now all we have to do is add the ballistic component to it. And we get some really great performance. So I think just that little that periodization cycle, that's where so many people make the mistake. You know, obviously there's some very, very uh, popular high-intensity programs out there right now, and I've seen some athletes fall into them, um, and then they don't stay with them because if you don't periodize, if you don't fall back from the high-intensity exercise all the time, or that high-intensity exercise isn't specific, you're number one, not going to get in performance enhancement at all, and number two, eventually you will get injured. So... I think that would be my my biggest point. That was great. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, making sure that you change up and segment out your workouts is important. And progressively going through the the optimal performance training model, um, which is going from like the stabilization endurance to the hypertrophy to the max strength to power, proceeding through that is really important. And I've seen a lot of athletes and a lot of people and I know people who have gone from uh, maybe just trying to work on their muscular muscular endurance, and then they go right into like the power. and And sure, you can do that as an athlete if you can go one, two, to five. But I like that you mentioned going into hypertrophy and training and and growing the muscles, and then improving the maximal strength, and then going back to power. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when people work on one in one area for too long. They they develop the resistance development where it's it it that would be like be like a plateau right and if they would hit a plateau and then they wouldn't be able to progress from there and then eventually they may even hit exhaustion where they're getting and the problems that usually come about from exhaustion phase when they've spent too much time in in one training um, area. Yeah, you have to you have to keep changing not only volume but load for things like overtraining absolutely um you also need to consider that there's more to strength than just being able to lift heavy mm. you know you can put a power lifter and i'm just going to use myself as an example and i really only play one sport I'm, you know I'm, I'm basketball through and through you know i've always loved to lift but uh you can put a power lifter on the floor and i'll make him feel 
week. I'll make him feel like a pansy and push him all over the court. And the reason being is, is when you look at those really heavy lifts, they're not working in, on stability. They're not working on speed. They're not working on control. So it's not that I'm actually stronger than the power lifter, that I can actually lift more than he can on like a deadlift. But it's the fact that I can get into position and stabilize faster. And then all I have to do is once I beat him to that position, put a little lean on him before he's gotten the chance to stabilize and he's going to fall over. Hopefully that example kind of makes sense, right? So powerlifters don't know how to do anything particularly quick. At least not if we, I mean, if we were going to really like isolate someone down to just being a powerlifter, you know, they get all the time in the world to lift a, a bar off the ground for a deadlift. Hmm. You still have to be stable. You still have to be able to do it with speed and control when we get into athletic activities. Now, from a weight loss standpoint, which I'm assuming many of your listeners are on a weight loss trajectory, you have to also have to think about those plateaus and the fact that if you hit one, you're not going to get any further weight loss. So just going back to your stability endurance training, although it might not seem like it's as intense as max strength or power training, you're actually burning more calories because you're forcing further adaptation. So can you go into that a little more? I mean, why are why can we say that that people who have weight loss as a goal, they're going to be burning more calories during their stability workouts than they would be during the power workouts in a high intensity workout? Well, power, I mean, in general is terrible for weight loss. So weight loss comes down to one thing. It comes down to creating a caloric deficit. You have to somehow make sure that energy in is less than energy out. And people make the mistake that because they did 10 box jumps and their heart rate is really high, that even during rest, they're burning more calories. And that's simply not true. As soon as you stop doing box jumps, the amount of calories you're burning, let's say per second, has decreased considerably. It's all about keeping moving. So 10 box jumps probably burns less calories than 20 single or 20 split squats or static lunges, whatever you want to call them, at a 4-2-2 tempo. In fact, I would be willing to guarantee that 20 static lunges at a 4-2-2 tempo with the appropriate weight burns a lot more calories than 10 box jumps do. And then you also have to consider that since it's lower intensity exercise, you're probably going to be able to do more of it. So now you have the caloric burn, not only of the time under tension, but the caloric burn of the volume of your workout. A lot of these high intensity workouts, if you look at the length of a set, it's about seven to 10 seconds. People burn out in three to four sets per muscle group, let's say. They do one circuit four or five times through of six exercises. Their actual total work might be five minutes. That's what you get for caloric burn, as opposed to a stability endurance workout where one set, with each rep being between six and eight, second six and eight seconds long, 12 to 20 repetitions, each set's lasting 60 seconds to two minutes, by the time you get to your third exercise, you've actually already had more time under tension. By the time you get through your three sets, you have well more than made up for the decrease in intensity. It's it's all about the time under tension. Can you just clarify what what is four two two tempo? I, I want to make sure my listeners know what that is, and so maybe they can start to implement that themselves. Fair enough. Sorry. Um, so four two two tempo refers to the three different phases of a any lift you do. You have a negative a hold, right? And a positive. 
So 422 tempo, when we talk about it, is eccentric, isometric, concentric. That basically means if we're doing a squat, the negative would be the way down. So you're going to have four seconds down. That's a really slow way down. Hmm. You're going to hold for two seconds at the bottom, and then it's going to take you a second or two to come back up. So it's a, it's a seven to eight second repetition. Yeah. And so now we can understand that there is a much more time under tension, which leads to the better all overall um, caloric burn being caloric, caloric deficit, which leads to overall weight loss, which is great. What are some other tips or maybe basic body movements that people can start to incorporate to improve their weight loss goals? All right, let's go down some tips. Okay. Right. So you want to stick to larger more compound movements. So things like squats, rows, push-ups. Um, if you can combine upper and lower body movements, that's great. Like a squat to curl to press or uh, lunge to row. All that stuff is really good. You want bigger movements because they burn more calories. Uh, stay away from single joint movement patterns. What I mean by single joint movement kept patterns is bicep curls and tricep extensions are not going to help you. You don't actually need this stuff. If you're doing compound movements, the muscles that you're trying to work in this single joint movement, like a curl or a tricep extension, are already being worked in your compound movements. Um, I guess specifically to ladies, although I know men go at this too, stay away from toning and spot reduction. There's no such thing. Most of those movements burn such few calories, you're actually hurting yourself by doing them, not helping yourself. Um, you can't target your lower ab fat. You can't target your outer thighs. Like you can't target the fat on the back of your arms. You just need to pick large movement patterns that help you burn calories and the fat all over your body will slowly start coming off. I would say do cardio. Uh, nothing burns calories more efficient than cardiovascular activity. Although weight loss is, ex or, um, weight training is extremely important to long-term uh, weight loss benefits. The more muscle mass you put on, the more calories you burn at all times. I would say in the short term, getting a cardiovascular program together that you enjoy is going to help help you start seeing the pounds come off quicker. And then of course, last, you have to get your diet. Um, you have to get your diet solid. Um, there's no, there's no magic diet out there. It's, it, it all still comes down to caloric, caloric deficit. So the best diet I've ever seen is, you know, buy smaller plates. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing you can do is find healthier, lower calorie foods that you enjoy. Nothing is more important than that last part. You're going to be, if you're on a weight loss program, you're going to be at this a while. Um, I can, you know, just kind of once again, just throwing my own stuff out there. I just recently lost 20 pounds. Wow. It probably took me eight or nine months. You know, I had gotten pretty heavy, just hadn't been playing that much basketball. And of course, you know, being the, the president of an education company and, and trying to do a bunch of stuff like you, it was just hard to work out. But I would say, you know, it took me eight, nine months to lose that 20 pounds, which is longer than it has to take. But I don't think that's far off the average. 
And if you really start thinking about it, eight or nine months is a pretty long time to be on a diet you hate. Right. Like all I did was find, you know, like I like smoothies. So I had a smoothie in the morning and I just found, you know, lower calorie options to put in my smoothie. And then I found sandwiches that, that I liked and I went to like wraps instead of the hero bread because I knew that saved mm. me a couple hundred calories. But I like wraps, so that's not a problem. Um, and dinner, like I just – slightly smaller plate. So you just find these little things that you like, you can handle. It's not that big of a deal. And eventually it'll start coming off if you put the the work in hard, but it's going to take a while. Weight loss takes a while. And I think you need to prepare for the long haul rather than try to sprint to the end with some stupid diet and, and crazy workout plan that in reality is just going to burn you out. You're going to be right back to where you started. I'm so glad you brought light to that because that's one of my biggest things and 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 not that I can speak because on on any sort of nutritional information because I'm not a registered dietitian I don't have those credentials but I too just kind of like put myself as a as a guinea pig I did a just 12 weeks of of healthier eating and found that I would find a lot of foods I could replace with healthier alternatives and whole foods instead of the the packaged processed things and and through doing that I had weight loss as well and and it's it's been nice because it didn't I mean it could have been done in such a shorter amount of time and and it could have been so unpleasant but it wasn't and it was nice and I'm so glad that you mentioned all that I like that you said smaller plates because portion size is huge like us in a, here in America, I mean, especially up here in like the Northeast region, like we just love getting huge servings of of whatever we have in front of us. Just the bigger the plate, the better. And if our plate is not full, we feel like we've lost on whatever value we could have had. And so, um, smaller plates is a good tip to make sure that you can still have a full plate and make sure it's packed with lots of nutritional things, but it doesn't have to be as packed as it would be with a with a larger plate. Exactly. It's ju- it's just portion size. I mean, one of the most effective weight loss programs in history has been that whole point system. Well, what's a point system? It's just calorie counting. And I'm not saying that everybody should calorie count, but their program has been effective and has been around forever because they just keep it simple. You know, you get X number of points. As long as you stay under X number of points, you can basically eat whatever you want. People learn pretty quickly that a spoonful of peanut butter is not nearly as satisfying as an apple. Um, maybe instantly it's as satisfying, but you get pretty hungry pretty quick if you keep going towards these high caloric density foods because there's not the volume you need to stay satiated. So, you know, I think you don't have to be an expert in nutrition to pull some of the basics down. Um, I do, of course, hate to see. Uh, uneducated gurus promote these diets that they probably have no business actually calling diets. Hmm. Nutrition is very complicated. Uh, although there's a couple chapters on nutrition in my in my book, Fitness or Fiction, I would leave it at where I did. It's pretty basic information, I think, overall. I would not try to change the world by creating a new diet, I think, the foundational science there is biochemistry, and that's not my strongest subject. So, 
you know, I think we do need to look to our nutritionists. We do need to look for more long-term game plans, more enjoyable long-term game plans on the nutrition side. And I hope eventually the public picks up on the fact that if you can deal with a little delayed gratification and uh, stop working towards this quick fix, you're going to be a lot better off in the long run. You're going to be setting up a healthy lifestyle rather than uh, some quick fix that's actually going to be only momentary or a, a blip on the timeline of your life. And I think that's a great way to sum up that topic um, because we are coming towards the end of our show and I just want to make sure we bring light to two things. You said, don't look for the quick fix, but look for the healthy lifestyle change. I am a huge advocate of that, that whole philosophy, but you also brought up your fitness or fiction book. Can you just, uh, touch on a little bit more about what people can find in your book and where they can find it? Yeah. So I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> If you guys haven't figured out that I'm a pretty big geek, uh, you definitely will as you start reading through my stuff. But I set out to write an evidence-based text for the, the consumer, the consumer being your general fitness advocate, not necessarily personal trainers or professionals like I teach now. Uh, the reason why evidence-based is important is you need to have a foundation of research, or at least as much of a foundation that research will provide, to start setting up advice that will actually work not just for one person, but for everybody. So I, I, I started writing this book, and you'll see that this book is very, very heavily cited as far as having 600 references itself. And it, originally it just started as like an education book on fitness. And as we went through it, what I actually started doing and what became the whole top topic of the book was busting myths. So we ended up with the title Fitness or Fiction. And literally what I do is in really simple ways, I start breaking down these myths and what the research says, that's actually the truth. And uh, luckily, while I was writing this so that I don't come across as like a total academic with all of this research, I had some friends who I was working with at Shape Magazine, and they were very helpful in helping me find the right language and voice for the book so that it, it still has that stuff in it. It's still at its core, a research-based text. But if you read it, you would, it's really no different than reading Shape Magazine as far as level of difficulty. I literally wanted it to be that subway read, mm -hmm. something you could pick up, read a myth, have a good time uh, learning, you know, read a couple pages and put it down. You didn't have to open up a thesaurus or uh, open up Webster's Dictionary <laughs> or start Googling words online because you didn't know what the heck I was talking about. It just kind of lays stuff out in a nice, simple way. It is on Amazon.com. Um, I've seen it other places too. I think some other retailers have picked it up. So you, you know, if you have a membership to like, let's say BarnesandNoble.com, you can probably find it there too. Uh, it is available on Kindle uh, and a little cheaper on Kindle if you guys are Kindle readers. Um, you can also rent it on Amazon Prime, which is an interesting program that they have going there. So basically, it's it's mostly on Amazon. Great, and I will make sure that your book is linked up on your show notes page on thebentonbetter.com where people can find more information about you, your links to all of your websites and social media platforms that you've mentioned, as well as this link to your book. Great, man. Awesome. Well, Brent, in the last minute of our show, is there a way that people can find more information about the Brookbush Institute? There's an about page on the, on the brentbrookbush.com. Um, you guys can follow me on social media, of course. I'm on Facebook. is probably my biggest um, social media platform. 
but I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube. Um, I, I would say brentbrookbush.com, just going to the about us page and just kind of checking things out. And you'll, you'll quickly get the idea of, of what we're doing. We do offer a huge amount of content. I mean, there's more than 300 lessons up there, 300 videos. And of course now we're offering online continuing ed credits for free with membership. So there's already 20 courses and we're trying to pump out a new course every week. So it's growing. Can you just touch on again, the best way for people to connect with you? The best ways to connect to me are probably Facebook. Uh, and you can look up Dr. Brent Brookbush. If you go to my Brent Brookbush personal page, I didn't know this, but there's actually a limit on how many friends you can have. Hmm. So I can't take any more friends on my personal page, but you guys can definitely like the Dr. Brent Brookbush page. And then there's some credentials after it. Don't worry about those. Um, the other way to reach me would, of course, be by email. And you can reach me at Brent, B-R-E-N-T, at brookbushinstitute.com. And Brookbush is B-R-O-O-K. B-U-S-H, just like it sounds. Um, I do answer questions. I'm pretty good at getting back to people. Every once in a while, somebody gets skipped over because I do get a lot of emails every day. But if for some reason you don't get a message back from me in a couple days, feel free to send your message again. I will not be annoyed. Mm -hmm. um, I won't think that you're trying to harass me. It's a, probably a pretty good practice that if I don't get back to you in 48 hours, that somehow you got skipped over and just cut and paste your message and send it to me again. I will get back to you. And I can assure you that Brent is a man of his word. I actually sent him two different messages on two different uh, platforms and he responded to both of them. So Brent, <laughs> thank you for responding. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks again for helping us get just a little better and I'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Sounds great, man. I would like to thank Dr. Brent Brookbush again for taking the time to share some great knowledge with us. All the information and resources mentioned in this show can be found at bentonbetter.com slash brookbush. That's B-R-O-O-K-B-U-S-H. Thanks again for listening to the Bent on Better podcast. If you want more free tips on how to get better and improve your overall health and fitness levels, as well as some other free goodies, head over to bentonbetter.com and enter your best email and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to connect with me on social media or ask any questions on social media, you can find me on the Bent on Better Facebook page at facebook.com slash bentonbetter. Finally, if you felt as though this podcast added value to your life in any way, please head over to iTunes and leave an honest review. I read every single review and they help the show a lot. I've got some great inspiration on the way, but in the meantime, remember, even though you may be content with your current situation, there is always room to be better. Now it's time to become the best you.